Welcome to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast for mid-January. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not... Um, Star Citizen. There you go. Uh, my game this week, however, is um, a nifty little thing available on the PC and the PS4 called Tharsis. The title doesn't tell you much, uh, but I'm about to speak with uh, the director of the game from Choice Provisions. It's the name of the company. His name is Mike Rausch. He'll explain what Tharsis does mean. Uh, but briefly, it is a game about going to Mars. You are on the worst ship in the world. If you fail the game, it will literally fall apart at the seams. Uh, and the challenge is using your crew members to deal with crises as they emerge. The way you deal with them is there's a, a really cool dice system where you roll dice and then use the dice to fix things, to use parts of the ship to your benefit, to do research, um, and then each character has a special ability. Um, it's kind of a roguelike in that, well, you'll fail a lot. Uh, if you beat the game, you unlock a new character. If you achieve certain thresholds, you unlock new characters. Uh, and there's a score. There's a high score at the end. I am currently, as I'm recording this, the game isn't quite out, so real people aren't playing yet, but I am currently on the very small leaderboards number seven, with something like uh, 1,500 points or so. Uh, so uh, I doubt I'll be there very long. I'm enjoying being in the top ten while it lasts. And you might be thinking to yourself, 1,500 points, number seven, I can beat that. Oh, here's your chance to beat that. I'm going to give away two free copies of Tharsis, generously provided by the folks who made it, to two randomly selected people who post in the comment thread on the front page of quarter2three.com a comment using the word voyage. That's right. The secret word this week is voyage. That's V-O-Y-A-G-E, of course. Post a comment using the word voyage. Don't just write the word voyage. That's no fun. Try to try to sneak it in there where it looks like it might actually fit. Uh, whoever does that, I will put your name in a virtual hat. I will draw two names, and I will send you a, a Steam key for Tharsis. Uh, one thing, you, you have to register on Discus using your email address. Otherwise, I have no way to send you a copy of the game. I should point out, of course, this offer is not good in perpetuity. This podcast posts on January 11th. This offer will be good until, let's say, January 18th at 8 p.m. Pacific time. Just to let folks know, the plan going forward, and I, we'll see if I can keep to this, I, I'd like to do an interview like this every other week, uh, alternating it every other other week uh, with the usual hey, what have you been playing kind of bull sessions? Usually with Jason McMaster, we'll, we'll get some other folks in here. But so uh, I plan this to be the first of, this is my New Year's re resolution, by the way, in 2016, the first of bi-weekly developer interviews. Uh, so if you're a developer and you've got a game you'd like to talk about, I'd love to give it a try and then chat with you on the podcast about it. Uh, drop me a line at tomchick at quarter2three.com. It's all one word, Tom Chick, and quarter2three.com, you, you spell it out. Don't put any numerals in there. Uh, so before we go over to Mike, uh, what, I want to briefly talk about one of the things I really like with Tharsis, uh, 
I play a lot of board games. Uh, I play them with friends. I play solitaire board games. I play cooperative board games. I, I play adversarial board games. I play board games with secret identities. I play dice games, card games. Um, I really like game design for the tabletop. And in ways, you know, there are some important differences. But I feel that good game design is good game design regardless of what platform it is for. Uh, so I'm always delighted um, and curious to see when people take obvious board game inspirations and apply them to, to video games, which is what's happening with Tharsis. It's very much – it has a lot in common with a board game, and it makes no bones about that. It's very upfront about, hey, you're rolling dice. Um a similar game, one of the things that you have to do with a board game adaptation or a board game design on, on, a, on a video game platform, uh, you need a couple of things. One of the things you need is this idea of a board that you can see at a glance all at once. That's one of the advantages of a tabletop is everything is spread out before you. You see the scoring track. You see who has how many cards. You see where a certain piece is. One of the big problems with board game adaptations or board game influenced designs is that video game developers are, are used to chopping the perspective up. You can only have so much screen real estate you can work with, uh, and if you zoom too far back, you can't convey meaningful information. Uh, so one of the things you have to do is fit everything on one screen and provide a lot of information. Tharsis does this very well. It's just one ship. The ship has... Six, seven, it has like seven locations on it. Uh, and you put a crew member in a location, it's important where he or she is. And this is very clear right there on the screen. Uh, an example of a game that I think does this poorly is a, a, a potentially really clever little game. Actually, it's not little, it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty impressive production uh, with some great artwork and animation, super atmospheric, super imaginative. But there is a board game style video game called Armello. And one of Armello's biggest problems, and it, it pretty much kills it for me, and I hate this, is that you don't get that overview of the board. You can't see it all at a glance. You can only see a little piece of the board if you want to see what piece is where and what the terrain is. Uh, and because it zooms in at different times, and because one corner of the board looks a lot like another corner of the board, when it's showing you like enemy movement, you're not sure where you're looking at it. There's nothing like a mini-map. Um, it's just poor situational awareness, as you might say in a simulation. Uh, and uh, that's just that's, that's such a hard thing to deal with that Armello does the exact wrong thing. Uh, another thing you have to do, which can be uh, tricky in, in any design, specifically a board game design, is you need a good interplay of systems like card management, die rolling, movement, combat, uh, you know, tricky, dirty tricks. Uh, Armello has that in spades. Armello is a really good design. Um, so it kills me that, the, that the, the presentation of it screws up the awesome design. Uh, and this is another thing that Tharsis does very well. Uh, super clean design and visuals, uh, the ship, when you choose an area to resolve an event, it gives you a beautiful little close-up view of that room inside the ship. And you can see the crew member in there, a little animation of a, a little person doing work. Um, and it doesn't sacrifice the ability to get an overview. So, 
Uh, let's see, what else can I tell you about Tharsis? It's uh, currently on Steam and the PlayStation 4. Uh, it is out this week. Um, and as I mentioned, I'm number seven. See if you can beat me. Probably not number seven anymore, as, as I say this. Uh, but uh, I invite you to try that out. In the meantime, I'm going to speak with Mike Rausch, the director from Choice Provisions of Tharsis. Let's go over and talk to Mike, and I'll be back right afterwards. Uh, Mike, okay, my first question for you about Tharsis. Um, why is this game called Tharsis? Because it's not even the name of the ship. Uh, what is Tharsis? And, and are we even supposed to know when we start playing? Um, so, no. So we never really f- fully explain uh, why the game is called Tharsis, but what's actually happening is... Um, you have received a message from the Tharsis region on Mars, um, and it's just basically um, a valley. So um, it ended up that it kind of sounded good. There was like a similarity to catharsis, and we ah. liked that, that a lot. So, um, and it, it just ended up flowing off um, our tongues better, and it made for a nice looking logo and stuff like that. So um, we actually debated the name of the game for probably three quarters of the development of the game. <laughs> I can imagine. Were there other like working titles, by the way? Was there anything more descriptive, like, <laughs> hey, it's really hard to get to Mars, or uh, did you have what else was in the running? So, we're actually really creative people, but for this one it was just called Mars Game. So, Mars like, game, right. the uh, <laughs> and I'm actually surprised it was as dull as Mars Game, but uh, we just basically called it the Mars Game for a long time. Uh so the other thing I want to ask you about now, uh, Mike, why is this game so hard? <laughs> uh, well, yeah. So I'm curious about the difficulty level. When you start, you can play normal. You can play hard. In a minute, I want you to explain to me what's different and hard. Uh, this thing is is I, I find really challenging. Challenging would be the good way to put it, but crazy frustrating hard would be the negative way to put it. Uh, is this something that you guys tuned a lot? Are you okay with it being that difficult? Uh, explain to me your thoughts on the difficulty level. So um, I have two responses to this. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there will be a time in your play where you sort of start figuring out um, like the proper methods to sort of go about getting what you want um, and finding um, you'll find out that there's there's different things that you can do to get better outcomes. So um, the, the, the really big issue we've had with Tharsis is that if you, once you understand um, the, the steps that you need to do to get what you want, the game actually can be quite easy. Um, so um, for instance, along your, um, I use this analogy a lot, but along your, your journey, you might find out that um, if you bring your medic into a room with all four astronauts in it, you can heal all of them at once. Mm-hmm. So you're actually maximizing your resource um, at that point. So um, uh, we actually made it quite a bit easier. So um, 
it's <laughs> I, I will I'm, say I, I'm glad you think it's hard because it's been a really big concern for us throughout the whole development. Is it too hard? Is it too easy? And too easy is my big concern. Too hard is not because I think people are really smart and they're going to uh, be able to figure this out uh, pretty well. You definitely, I mean, that's the right instinct, because too easy, someone would play it and beat it and be done with it completely. When a game is hard like this, and especially when it's a relatively short game, you know, I lose and I'm immediately, rather than saying, ah, screw this, I don't want to play, I'm immediately like, okay, well, let me try one more time. Um, So the the length and the pacing makes the difficulty sort of work for me. and also, you mentioned the thing about the, the medic healing people when they're in the same room. Certainly, I think it's the captain who gives somebody an extra die. Um, as I'm playing, I am discovering, oh, it, it's not just running around pell-mell. There's this kind of, not geographical, but, but situate positional strategy that, that you start to uncover as the key to, to being efficient. Uh, and a lot of it, too, is do I send someone in first so that he can be there when the captain comes in. Uh, but a lot of things as I'm playing click for me that aren't necessarily explained up front, that you kind of just have to figure out on your own. Yeah, and we actually, um, that was fairly engineered into it. Like, we wanted it to be a really exploratory process for people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm glad that you have found that right away because, you know, you're definitely some of, you're in the first group of of people that have actually played the game. So um, getting that feedback is really good. Uh, yeah, no, I think it definitely works. And also part of my thinking, too, as I'm playing, Mike, is uh, if I can just get better roles next time. Because <laughs> a lot of times, too, it, this is the nature of the fact that it's a dice-based game. I feel like my undoing isn't necessarily a bad choice I made or a difficult design you guys have created. A lot of my undoing is I just got a six and it hit the injury at exactly the wrong time. And it creates this cascading chain of failures. Uh so a lot of times it's those freaking dice. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what's really nice about, you know, that's sort of like, you know, what would what would really happen if this ship got pelted by all these meteors? It would be sort of kind of up to chance. Like, can can you fix these these issues? And, it, you know, it's life is sort of a roll of the dice that way, I, sure. I suppose. Uh, by the way, this um it's almost funny that Iktomi has to be the worst designed ship in the world because, <laughs> oh my gosh, so many things go wrong with this thing. Uh, it's it's like you think you you mention in a video you guys did for your inspirations, you mentioned Apollo 13 where just one thing goes wrong, uh, mm-hmm. and they have to deal with that. The Iktomi is like the Apollo 13 times 20. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's just it's a terrible ship. Who who designed that thing? Uh, <laughs> Why is it called the Iktomi, by the way? So um, one thing about Tharsis is we really wanted to, um, I think really the importance of space um, for me is that it's, um, you know, we can sit here and bicker about race and religion and sex and all that stuff. But once we go into space, uh, all of that disappears. It's about humanity. Mm-hmm. And so what we really wanted to do was, you know, cover you know, all races, religions, creeds. Um, and so uh, typically missions are named after, you know, sort of these uh, Greek gods. Um, and we decided to mix it up a little bit. And so um, the Ektomi is actually a Native American god. Oh, I, I kind of thought it was a Japanese word. Ah, yes. That's, that's and I've actually, Japanese speakers have come to me in, in the past and said, 
things like I don't understand uh, the Iktomi doesn't follow any of the rules or conventions for Japanese language, and I always respond with, well, good, <laughs> because it's not a Japanese word. But um, I, I, you know, people can look this up on their own time, but uh, the Iktomi god, is it's kind of a funny thing to look up if you have the time. Oh, very nice. That, that's, that's a beautiful choice then. Um, let me ask you uh, real quick, explain to me what happens if I check hard mode when I start a game. Um, so, f- first of all, um, it will be a much harder, but basically you just get different loadouts of cards. Um, I believe you will get... Uh, an, we have randomized event drops, and I believe that you will get... Um, a an extra event here and there and then um the values are also higher and you also start with um a different loadout of resources so you'll notice every time you play a game you might have a food you might have uh some assist you might have extra ship your players might have more or less health um and so it just alters all those values so that is one of the things I wanted to ask you is what determines when I start, who has how much health, who has how many dice, uh, and that is just a there, there's a randomness to the setup every game. Correct, and that's just to sort of um, I've I, I've been trying to coin the phrase that Tharsis is roguelikean, um, and you know it's having that that loadout uh, differently every time and changing your experience is really sort of what makes it magical. And I've also kind of explained Tharsis as, you know, for me, it's, and this is just for me, but I really, when I play it, I feel like it's more like playing a game of solitaire where it's like I sit down and, uh, for me, winning solitaire, it's, it's great. It's fun. Um, but solitaire is more about the journey playing it. And it's like, what are you doing as you play to get through the game? And I feel that same way with uh, Tharsis a lot of times. So let's talk about that level of Tharsis, because uh, in, in that intro, in that video that you guys have posted, you talk a lot about your aesthetic inspirations. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of those are great, by the way. I'm so glad to hear people talk about Space 1999, <laughs> for instance. That for, for a show that's that old, that thing was gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's talk then about the inspiration for the gameplay because you, you and your company, you guys are known for Woe Dave, uh, BitTrip. They're, they're both side-scrolling platformers, you might say. Uh, this sure is not a side-scrolling platformer. Uh, how did you guys come to make a game like this? With the game, what was the inspiration for the gameplay, which is so different from what you've done previously? Well. Um... I have a, f- a few answers to that. The main one being, you know, spending years and years developing games, especially like the BitTrip franchise, which we've we essentially worked on for five years, you know, you kind of get bored and you want to, you know, spread your wings a little bit. So part of it was we wanted to challenge ourselves. Um, the other part of it was um, my good buddy, Zach Gage, um, who does not work for Choice Provisions. Um, you might know him. He did uh, Sage Solitaire most recently and then uh, Ridiculous Fishing, um, among other games. Mm-hmm. He uh, is a very good systems designer. And, <clears throat> you know, I had this this idea for Tharsis years ago. And we'd meet up at E3s or GDCs, and I'd always be like, hey, man, you know, 
uh, make this 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 game with me. Like I want you to come up with some wacky wacky design for what what I want. And you know, he was so busy doing so much stuff and also he lives in New York and I live in California, so there's a a nationwide gap between us, but um I finally chipped away at him and one day he finally said let's do it. And um so we all got together and uh he worked with our designers um and he's actually the one that introduced uh the dice and it was for me personally it was a tough sell at first and you know uh the main reason is you know dice in space is such a ridiculous concept uh because there's no gravity essentially and so <laughs> but I ended up you know being like you know he he proved that his design was super solid and it was extremely interesting and one of the things that we kept coming back to is that everybody on earth knew what dice were and how they operated and how they worked and dice are you know inherently really fun to deal with and we also sort of started seeing a big board game movement so um we just thought we'd kind of hit the zeitgeist with with board game and board games and try to get a digital version out there. Mm-hmm. I will say, by the way, Mike, that's that's totally what, what got me, is I got a press release about the game, I was reading over it, uh, Trip to Mars, yada, 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 cannibalism, haha, funny. But when it, it, it said something about a board game-like or dice-based design, as a board gamer and as a strategy gamer, that's the hook that instantly said, oh, well, i got to try this. Um, so it makes me sound, if you're resistant to, to dice... Are you much of a board gamer yourself? Is that something that you guys at Choice Provisions are into? We um, so some of our staff have actually uh, developed and, and uh, shipped board games. Matt Hickman, um, our uh, producer, our lead producer, has made a game called Flocks and Flyways. Um, I grew up playing uh, role playing games. Um, you know, basically starting with D&D, of course, and then moving to, like, cyberpunk and riffs. And um, so in office, we play a, a fairly horrible board game called Talisman, but um, it's something that we've been playing on and off for years. So we do play, but I wouldn't say we're necessarily fanatical about it, uh, but it is something that does interest us, of course, because we like to play fun games. If you play Talisman, I can understand your reluctance to dice. Talisman is one of those games that is so dice-driven. Like, hardcore board gamers like me look down our nose at Talisman because of uh, it's kind of like a monopoly kind of thing of board games. It, it really is, and it's got so many problems and holes. Yeah. But, like, for me personally, so, I mean, this is kind of off-topic a little bit, but my uh, best friend growing up, his aunt worked for Games Workshop. And so, uh, as a kid, she'd send... Um, you know, these crates full of stuff to him. And we got like, a, we had a first edition talisman. And so I, I used to play it all the time um, when I was younger. So for me personally, it's a very no- nostalgic thing, but it is, you know, I, I don't think anybody is going to argue the fact that it's not an awful game. Yeah, Talisman is a game you play before you know that there are good games out there. Like you want exactly. to get that under your belt before you have a yeah. lighter frame of reference. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, uh, and this isn't to say, oh, you guys are just like X, Y, or Z, but playing uh, Tharsis reminds me a lot of a new game from a company called Mayfair called uh, – it might just be Star Trek Adventures. Um, it, it, have you heard of this? It's it's a, a recent board game. It's cooperative, 
where each player is a crew member. And there's uh, you get a little placard on one side is the original Star Trek, on the other side is Next Generation. So you decide are you playing original or Next Generation. Uh, and each person has a pool of dice that they roll uh, to resolve problems. It's kind of just like the crisis cards with you guys, except that you're literally flipping over cards, and you've got a, a sort of a, an array of cards in front of you, and when it comes your turn, you roll dice and apply them to try to solve one or more of the cards. Uh, and everybody's got a special power they use to help everyone else. Um, but it reminded me a lot of what you guys are doing, this idea of here's a spaceship, here's dice, here's things going wrong, go. <laughs> like, see what you can do to fix it. I, I have not heard of this, but it sounds right up my alley, and I think maybe I'll have to do a purchase uh, for the office. I, I will say Star Trek Adventures is super, like, frivolous and basic, and you get what you guys have done is way more uh, kind of sophisticated in terms of gameplay. Star Trek Adventures is, like, super casual, almost party game level. Um but uh, yeah, but but similar in structure to what you what you guys have accomplished. That's awesome. I'll, I will definitely pick it up, and I'm also uh, going to go on vacation after we ship this game, so maybe uh-huh. I'll take it with me. Now I did notice uh, just real quick on a personal note, both you and uh, I'm sorry, I asked you about this before. Your co-founder is, is Alex, Alex Noisy. Noisy. I, I did wonder how to pronounce that. It seems like you guys both have production babies listed in the credits. <laughs> Yes. It has been very busy for you then, I imagine. Yeah. Yes. The the the, the babies were um are wonderful and beautiful, but also um it's it was my second kid. Um and you know, kids definitely add some challenge to <laughs> uh Pr- pr- producing a video game and, and running a company. And, and life in general, I imagine. And yeah, life so. in general. Well, congratulations on Otto. I thought that was great to Thank see. Thank you. Did you? And I'm sure you appreciated his middle name. Oh, you know what? I didn't even notice. What was his middle name? Uh, it's Otto Tiberius. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what? A, what have you done to this child? And B, great idea. Very, very nice. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, so, Mike... Um, one of the things I, I want you to, to explain to me about uh, Tharsis that I don't understand, the, let's talk about these crises that happen. And are mm-hmm. they called uh, crises, incidents, like what's, or events? What's the they're name? Called a, they're called events. Events, okay. Uh, so it seems like you were reluctant to do dice, but you eventually embraced wholeheartedly the dice aspect. And, and there's an animation of the dice rolling willy-nilly over the screen. It's clearly a sense of... Here's these dice. They exist separately from what's behind and inside the screen, and it, it creates this very cool board game conceit. Why aren't the events cards? Because I know what you're doing under the hood. I know they're kind of cards. Did you ever play with the idea of actually making them look like cards, or would that have been too much of a board gamey aesthetic? Um, so <laughs> the iterations that Tharsis has gone through, um, and just to to go back a little bit here. The game is actually supposed to only be about a five month development cycle. And I think we're over two years later here. So Whoa. <laughs> uh, we, we have gone through and it wasn't supposed to look like this. And, you know, uh, it was supposed to be a small iPad game, but that being said, we have gone through tons and tons and tons of iteration. And I think you basically hit on exactly, um, what it was it's the card aspect felt a little too board gamey um and not enough video gamey so we're really trying to ride the line um between board game and video game 
And so, uh, for the most part, that's why we just have the events the way they are. Well, then let me ask you as, as a, uh, maybe quote unquote power player, like I, I've, I, I'm at the point where I've started playing. I'm like, Oh, what is this? I've learned the systems that you eventually teach the player. Uh, and I've gotten probably as good as I'm going to get. I've, I've beat it on normal. I'm trying to play hard. One of the things I want to know, uh, and if the cards were more explicit, I think I would know this. How many events am I supposed to get each turn? And what determines the difficulty of an event? Like sometimes I get something that takes like a 27. Other times I just get a, you know, a 15. Um, explain to me how these cards are created and what determines how many and which cards are going to hit me on a turn. So to be perfectly honest, I don't know the exact methodology there. Mm-hmm. Um, because we had changed um, stuff around a, a whole lot um, during especially the last basically couple of months of tuning. Um, but uh, some of it is random, and some of it is you are going to get a basic um, uh, event drop. Like let's say turn three will drop um, a set amount of events. Um and uh, I'm trying to remember, and I, I apologize for not knowing the answer to this, but um, we do have um, a somewhat random uh, drop in there. So there is some randomness to it. As in some uh, turns I might get two, other turns I might get three, and that's just another kind of roll of the dice. It can go either way? Correct. Okay. Uh, then explain to me, uh, for the most part, when, a, when an event happens – and I love this about the board game, it's v- about about uh, the game, it's very clear exactly what's going to happen if I leave that event. How much damage the ship will take, how many dice my crew members will lose, how much health I'm going to lose. Um, all of that is explicitly indicated, and you guys are even helpful enough to show me in the upper left-hand corner, hey, here's how much damage your ship is going to take unless you fix stuff. Uh, the one exception, and this is driving me batty because I've tried to figure it out, what is the sys-fail effect? Okay, so, um, and again, this is very good feedback because um, it's good for us to know this stuff, but a system failure is essentially your module, and you're not able to use the module ability. Oh. Um, And um, it's, this is a system that does have a small exploit um, if you are crafty enough to figure it out, but... Um, for the most part, so assist failure on med bay, you won't be able to heal your characters. Assist fail on greenhouse, you won't be able to get food, sure. uh, et cetera, et cetera. So um, if I've got uh, unresolved events, uh, does that affect the number of events that are dealt? Do you know? Uh, yeah. So um, if there is an event in a room, it will not put another – it won't stack events essentially. So the event is sort of permanently linked so basically, uh, what, until it's until it's completed. So what you've made me think, I don't know if this is the exploit you talked about, but if I get a system failure on like you know operations where I'm not, I've given up on my character's stress level, uh, I can just leave it there. Like like you, you've made me think. Okay, well I don't I don't care operations. That's one fewer event that might be dealt on on the ship this turn. Essentially, and um, now granted, it's going to put if you have an open slot, it will put another event in that open slot. So it's. 
uh, it is what I would consider a very small exploit, and we ended, we ultimately decided to leave it because um, you can do some really cool stuff with it if you want. Um, so, and it's actually kind of a funny story. Um, we kept half of our studio was making uh, a game called Laser Life, um, which came out recently. It's a music rhythm game, um, and it's actually set in the same world as Tharsis, um, but you know, a hundred thousand years in the future, but it's the same, the same universe. And so, um, I kept, uh, Tharsis very insular in in our company and I didn't really let anyone play for like a year and a half. Um, so it was a, a team working on it within the company and, um, because it wasn't ready, it wasn't ready for people to play. It wasn't ready for feedback. Um, and my concern was that opening it up for a lot of feedback would, alter my thoughts and my opinions for the game. And so uh, a couple of months ago, we opened it up to um, to the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, people really loved it. But the sys failure, the things people were doing with the sys failure were, were, were so impressive to me. And, and watching how, um, especially my business partner, Alex, watching how he played the game so differently from how people that were designing the game played it was very and a very exciting time for me because i knew if that was there uh and if people were finding these interesting little things that they could do because we set up a uh, a bunch of systems for them to actually explore and do interesting things with that we would have a good game well you're killing me now mike because i'm wondering how how were people like using or exploiting the sys fail even if it's just between you and me you know what i'll bleep i'll bleep all of this out Uh, (laughs) well it's it's actually, um, it's, well, the best, so if you have a sys fail, right, uh-huh. and it's like, let's say it's a 19, um, you can leave it in the module, but let's say you really needed, like, for instance, uh, let's say it was in something really important, like the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, what, you, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to take that sys fail down to something that you could achieve confidently with one die okay. so you you want to take it down to like a you know pr- most likely a, a th- at least a three mm-hmm. um and then you can kind of sit on it for a bit and if you need greenhouse then you can go in devote a die to uh taking the sys fail out and then um you can get your greenhouse i guess i'm not clear on why that's different from just resolving the sys fail and then later doing the greenhouse with that extra die available. Well, because the 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 fear might be that you get, you know, like a a twenty six uh, with, you know, three injury dice that ah. you know, and you know, it's turn. This is a strategy. This is like a strategy that works much better in your later turns of the game because the what you're trying to do, and of course. It sounds like you've played in one. You're trying to get to, you know, your last turn, you have to get as many crew to uh, flight control as possible. Right. So it's just a little thing that you can do. And it's not, again, it's not a huge exploit, but I have seen people do some really cool stuff with this, the sysfail exploit. Um, and, you know, st- still, you know, it's not good to leave it. It's like optimally. Right. You might, you probably don't always want to do that, but there are cases where, um, you can kind of massage the game enough to, you know, get these results that are very interesting or get you that 
you know, there's so much later on the game where it's like every, every move you make, every step you do, you know, um, it could have ramifications for your next turn. So it's just, um, it's, it's a little piece of the pie. Like leaving something out there that's predictable that you know you can deal with for, for later, kind of. Correct. Yeah. Um, so here's another question then about the events. Are they always, is the specific event always the same? For instance, will a meteorite strike always have, and I'm just making this up, I don't know if it's the case, a stasis on a roll of two or three? Or is is a meteorite strike sometimes going to cause injuries? Uh, what, are the cards always a consistent <clears throat> So they're, they're for, yeah. They they get different though they will get different um, um, effects and values uh, except for that first card which is the meteor the meteorite strike because that is the um, it's part of our event basically. exactly yeah. it's part of our story but that one will also get different values what it won't get is we don't really introduce um, if you recall the uh, the orange injury dice mm-hmm. or the the purple void dice that sucks the dice out into space. Um, until a, a turn or two in. So normally your first turn, you're always going to have, um, basically we view the first turn as like your, your planning session to kind of figure out, okay, what's going on here? Um, what am I going to need to do? Am I going to need to get some food? Am I going to need to, uh, like, did I start the game with only one ship and I want to kind of get two or three, sh- uh, ship as a buffer or a padding. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's, you know, basically, it's only that first turn that has that that um, sort of loadout and that meteorite strike. But but from then on, for instance, if I get a fire, a fire is always going to have a, a stronger likelihood for injury dice than uh, something just not working correctly. That, that, that correct. Okay. Right. And, and I mean, there's they're also thematic. So it's like if you have a card, I, f- I forget what it's called, but if it's like uh, you know air leak, you're going to get void dice with that instead of a fire right, right. you know so one of the uh, pleasant discoveries uh is that when you look at the diagram of the ship and you see the events happening i just assumed you guys were doing like random alphabet soup like uh oh there's an oe oae fail or an icc is blocked or the cpbf gets damaged and i was like okay yeah that's cute that sounds like space but then i noticed when you go into the actual event in the in the room you explain at the top of the screen what it stands for. Uh, are those real things? So yeah, uh, <clears throat> I'm not. They're not 100% all real, but most of the events are are things that have happened in space uh, in the you know in the 30 years we've been floating around up there or whatever. Um, I guess it's longer than that now. I guess that's how old I am. But uh, they're they're mostly real things that have actually happened. So. Um, we wanted to have it, you know, have there be a realistic element, um, enough to where it's interesting, but also, um, we've, (laughs) we've taken some, some, some liberties and there are some, uh, there are some funny things in there. If, if, you know, people get to a point where they play the game so quickly and they don't read them and, uh, including myself and some of the events were coming in, um, Later, and I re- I've read a couple of them recently, and they just make me laugh. I did, I did. I've definitely started reading them once I realized that you're explaining the acronyms up there. Uh, and, and yeah, like that's that's also uh, Mike something that made me think of cards, is that when you draw a card in a game, it usually has a little flavor text. 
So with those events, there's definitely flavor text if you look at the top of the screen when you go into that room to resolve it, which I appreciated. Yeah. Um, Tell me about – by the way, have you seen or read uh, The Martian? Uh, I have seen and I have read The Martian. So uh, do you you remember – the, the the cannibalism issue is very briefly addressed in the book. Do, do you mm-hmm. do you remember that? I'm trying to remember. So I I read it when it first came out because I'm kind of a fanatic about Mars, but I can't recall it. All, all they do it's very brief. Is that one of the crew members when she's uh, writing home or doing a video home to her father? She, oh, I do remember this actually. Yeah, she alludes to the fact that one of their contingency plans is they've decided who is going to be killed and yes. eaten if they run out of food. Uh, I do remember. So I uh, I love your cannibalism conceit, um, not just for how dark it is and like what you do to the dice and how it reduces your health and the effect it has on your score, um, and that you always do have the option to just sacrifice a crew member for for food. Um, uh, Here's a question I have for you. Why do I have to wait to eat Musgrave? You, <laughs> you always kill – and by the way, is it Mapia? Is Mapia Musgrave a, a, a dude or a chick? Um, I believe it's a uh, female. Okay. Why do you always have to wait to eat her? Because it, it seems like you don't introduce that option until a few turns in. So the the assumption sort of in our fiction is that um, you know, it, if if you and and I were in an RV trip, and s- something happened and our food ran out, the first thing that we wouldn't think about is <laughs> killing each other and eating each other. So the assumption is that there's going to be um, some time before things start getting grim and and before these conversations start cropping up. Um, and each turns a week, so. Uh, we've we've sort of figured that three three weeks is about enough time to be uh, hungry enough to where you're going to start considering stuff like that. And is that fixed, by the way? It's only on the third turn or week? It's only on the third turn. Good to know. Good. Uh, who is Jay Cross, and why does this poor person always get flung into space? Is there is there an inside joke there? Is there someone named Jay Cross that you guys don't like? Um, no, but, uh, well, it's there is some inside stuff there. So... Uh, Jay Cross is actually, um, it's the character in, uh, the other game we made, Laser Life. Um, but there's a couple of other, uh, things there. Um, I sort of made up that character years ago. Uh, we have within choice provisions, we, we make these little games like Whoa Dave, um, sort of these fun skunkworks, uh, games. And that was made by, uh, our Jason Cirillo. And so forever I was like, you know, I'm not going to use your real name, but this is this character is is you, Jason. Sure. Um, do you uh, tell me about the soundtrack? Because normally one of the first things I'll do in a game is I'll turn off the soundtrack because I don't I don't need that music. I'm usually listening to a podcast or my own music or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't get around to turning off the soundtrack for y'all's game. And at one point I alt tabbed out to take some notes, and then I checked email and I did something else. And I kind of forgot I had the game running, and I did something else. And the music was going the whole time. And before I knew it, I was like, what am I playing? I was like, oh, that's the game music. This is awesome. Uh, You guys have an amazing soundtrack you got from a couple of Dutch guys um, who call themselves, is it Weevil? Weevil, correct. 
how did you find this? Uh, and uh, tell me, yeah, tell me about this awesome soundtrack. So um, this is actually a, f- a fairly good story. Um, we we went into making this this game, like I said before, and it was a short dev cycle, and we were going to make it on iPad. Um, but one of my issues is um, I, I have a very difficult time thinking sort of smaller. So I, I always want to um, go bigger, grander, better. Um, and I guess that might be why this game this game is took over two years and the budget is three times higher than or, uh, the original budget. But uh, we were going to license uh, Fleetwood Mac and Genesis for the soundtrack. And we went through um, all the licensing steps. And at the very last minute before... Uh, we were actually going to sign the agreements. Um, the record company doubled the price. And um, it was, I mean, the, some of the Genesis songs that we were going to use, um, I mean, they were very B-side. Uh, they were, um, you know, the last time they were used was in a Magnum PI episode. <laughs> and so it's like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, it, like obviously nobody is going to license this, so just take you know take the money, you know, like get something for it. Um, and because of Genesis sort of falling through, um, I decided that uh, the Fleetwood Mac element should go too. And I know that those two um, bands sound ridiculous, especially looking at the way Tharsis is now. Um, but really it was, uh, it, it would have been quite elegant. And so, um, I had to start searching for, uh, something that I thought was f- fit the game and the game had changed a lot. You know, licensing music is not something that happens immediately. It, it you know, we went through months and months and months of dealing with it. So I had to try to get something that I was, uh, interested in and thought fit the mood and the theme and um a friend of mine was like you know just start searching around for music you like and then just email people so um uh and this is these are sort of more band campy type uh musicians Mm -hmm. so uh you know i spent weeks and weeks and weeks looking for stuff and i was uh, incredibly frustrated because nothing I could find was what I wanted. Um, and then I think I just typed in space in, in Bandcamp. I think it was like literally that simple one night. And there was this, uh, uh, picture of this astronaut. Um, and I was like, okay, what's this? And I must've listened to this Weevil album, 10, 15, 20 times in a row. I just was looping it. And so that was the, that's how I found Weevil. But I sort of agree. It's like the music puts you in sort of this trance. And, um, you know, I don't know if you notice too much more of the audio design, but the music kind of comes and goes. And then um, sometimes you'll go into a module and there won't be music. And then you'll hear all of the, um, the instrumentation and, 
sounds of that individual module. Mm-hmm. I did notice that actually, and wondered oh, cool. was that something that I. Yeah, was that was I just turning the sound down? It, it, it's kind of odd because a lot of games just assume if there's music, there should always be music, and and you guys kind of back off from that. You're like, we're gonna we're gonna take a little downtime between tracks sometimes. But it's it's a matter of going into a module. Is that's what that's what cuts the music out sometimes? So yeah, um, it's actually the music will will run its course, and if it's run its course, um, and you're in. Uh, macro view, it's what we call it, is the ship view. Um, then it might decide to start playing the, the module specific, um, uh, sound effects. Right. Very nice, very nice. Uh, and I, uh, I also, I do all of, uh, Weevil's cuts from, I think the, the EP is called Half Age. Do all yeah. of them have vocals and you guys only use the vocals for the credits? No. So, um, I, I think I don't know for sure, and I'm. Uh, I think only half of the songs have vocals. Um, so part, you know, we just asked them if we could get tracks without right. uh, the vocal. But um, you know, the the end credit song, uh, I believe it's called "Out of the Game," has the the um, the v- vo or the the um, the vocals. This the vocals, right. and it really, I I. I thought it was a great way to end the game. I think it sounds very interesting, and it's uh, and I, I don't know. It's kind of a sp- special thing for me personally. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, that that was a great find. Um, all right. So uh, one issue that I have with uh, Tharsis that you guys might have, um, there's no way to like it, that I can tell offhand. This doesn't seem like a game that you can easily sell DLC for. Uh, it, and I, I love this about a game. It's just a complete tight concise, elegant package. Um, do you have any plans for follow-ups for, with uh, or doing more work with Tharsis? So, I mean, of course it's like anything else, right? If it performs well, I mean, anything is possible. Um, we do have actually some pretty grand ideas for some paid DLC, but we are going Good. to be um, updating. Uh, we're going to be doing continual updates you know, there there are some th- things that we want to fix, but it, you know, it it was the game was solid enough to ship right now. But there are some things that we're going to add. Um, there's also some feedback we've got so far from um, uh, you know YouTubers and Twitch streamers, like they really want to name the characters, and this was a huge thing for me that I resisted um, because I mean, obviously we've worked on this game for a while, and it's like you know, I don't want to look at a stream and some some of my characters for this very this kind of serious game are named like Fart Shower or whatever. Like, I don't need to see that. But that being said, um, almost every single person has asked for us to uh, be able to rename the characters. So we're probably going to um, uh, do that. And then um, I believe we're going to be introducing daily challenges as well. Daily challenges. How would how would you do like a a predetermined setup, or how would you do something like that? Uh, my guess is it's just going to be a predetermined setup, and it's like how do you how can you get out of this situation? Who can you know uh, who can get the highest uh, score? Sure. So it might be you know we might set up situations where you know we're we're fairly certain that people are going to fail, but it's like, let's see, can you get, can you even get three rounds? Right. Right. You know, 
by the way, I'm, I'm with you 100%, Mike, on this idea of – so for me, as a guy who plays a lot of games, I name my character when a character is something – like I should be able to name my character when a character is something that I create, like mm-hmm. in an RPG – where you start, like in Fallout, you know, you start with a blank slate, you make him or her look like whatever you want, you choose the skills. Um, you guys are giving us, they're essentially playing pieces, and you're determining what they do, you know, what their powers are. Uh, you guys should be able to call the playing pieces what you want them to be called. I, I just find, I, I almost want to tell you, Mike, that's one of those examples where you shouldn't listen to feedback. <laughs> well, uh, so here's the thing. Here's what ultimately triggered me saying, okay, let's just do it. Um, and, you know, it it makes sense to me. But, like, you know, streamers want to say, you know, okay, here's, here's one of my uh, subscribers or whatever. Uh, and, you know he's really active in the channel, so I'm going to name him and I'm going to, I'll try to save him as long as I can without killing him. And, you know, it's, you know, the game, if you put the game aside, that sort of interactiveness with the game and, you know, the viewers or whatever, um, you know, it's, it's, this is sort of a modern day concept um, with gaming. You know, the, the streamers have, just surged so much recently and and I can see that being you know I mean ultimately I'm making the game so people can you know it's entertainment and I want people to be entertained and if we could add a couple of little things in there that that make it even more entertaining you know that's my goal is to to keep people happy and entertained and and interested and challenge them so and I can imagine too that's a relatively uh, trivial thing on you guys part as far as like changing it and making it an option it's not like they're saying hey give us uh, new graphics and animation for the faces so I can put my own picture in there yeah 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 Uh, just so you know Mike if you do that I will not be changing the names of the characters I'm I'm going with what you guys thank you very much however Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think I am going to make a note here. My next World of Warcraft character is going to be called Fart Shower. <laughs> uh, so finally, I want to talk to you about uh, one of the systems in the game. Uh, for the most part, very board gamey. Everything's above board. You, you show me the die rolls. I can see the numbers. Um, super explicit and clear. Um, then you have the stress system. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I figured it out s- soon enough. I mean, you're, you're very upfront, and it's part of the tutorial. It tells you about stress. Uh, and eventually you realize, oh, that's the little bar on the left. When it hits the threshold, it turns red. Um, and you make it clear that when somebody's stress is high enough, bad event or choice. So what do you call the choice things? So events are the things that happen. The, then the choice bits every turn. What's the name for that? Um, we we So... The, our company is called Choice Provisions, so um, it was always the choice phase for me. And then when you feed people in the next round, that's called the provisions phase. But we decided that was cheesy, so now it's uh, now it's called a side project. The side project. Okay, so you decide what side project people are going to work on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, explain to me a little bit about this system because, again, it feels like cards are being dealt, but I'm not clear. Are they only bad things? When stress turns red, or as stress elevates, do they start to get worse? Um, what determines what kind of choices I'm going to make during these side projects? So um, the stress system is is something that 
uh, first of all, um, the reason we kind of have it sneaky in there um, and not super in your face um, is, you know, I've always kind of thought it's akin to real life. And, you know, you can be stressed out and kind of not know it or be stressed out for, you know, maybe a couple of weeks and you kind of acclimate to being stressed out. And so um, we wanted that same aspect to sort of be there um, for the player. Um, so it's not totally in your face. But, yeah, the the higher your stress is when you do that side project, the the astronauts will um, come to you as the player and have uh, different choices. So if your stress is all the way um, down, uh, the, the choices that they present to you will be much better than if you have full stress. Um, and if your stress is full, we call it madness. Um, I don't think we ever say that in the game, but if your stress is full, you kind of have the space madness and, uh, the characters will come to you and, uh, you know, sometimes they'll even suggest, you know, suicide, uh, when they're super stressed out. So, um, it's my favorite thing about stress, um, is that, it's again, it's so sneaky and people that play right off the bat don't understand how important it is to keep your stress low because, yeah. uh, for instance, you know, someone with high stress might, um, might give you minus health to all crew and, you know, and she will offer maybe lower stress for herself. Um, but there's also the if you don't choose it because her stress is so high, there will be a negative effect um, because her stress is so high that um, it just it ends up being this this thing that you have to juggle with everything else um, because that side project uh, screen is so important uh, when you make your choice. So um, I don't know. It's it's always been kind of. I mean, it's interesting. It was re really interesting working with that system because we tried so many different things, and this is sort of what we ended up with. One of the things I do like about it especially uh, is when I'm playing the game normally, the characters are all playing pieces, and they do what I tell them to do, and any any variability comes from those goddamn dice. It's always the stupid <laughs> dice. But when these side projects come up, come up suddenly there's a sense of, of autonomy. Is I didn't pick these. These are these characters bringing things to me. Um, they're not just playing pieces. They're little virtual people, and they present me with a, with a dilemma. Um, and so suddenly, rather than just being tokens that mark where I'm going to roll dice in the ship, there's this personality. Like, oh, my God, why are you making me, you know, why is this, this stupid doctor making me make this hard choice? And if I don't pick it, her stress is going to get worse. Um, so they acquire this kind of personality above being just, just game tokens, which I quite like. Um, yeah, we that was, you know, we wanted you to get, I mean, there's there's other things going on there, too. It's like we wanted you to kind of have a connection to the characters. So when it comes time for the next phase that might involve cannibalism, you might go, ah, oh, man, I really liked, you know, her or him. So it's or, sort of to kind of personalize with, with the player. Yeah. Or more likely, I don't like this character. Let's go ahead and eat her and get exactly. her. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. She's been causing me problems this whole damn game. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, uh, the, this, the stress 
um, level sometimes in, in these side choices, side projects, I can pick one person to be more stressed than someone else or to be less stressed than, than the general level. What does that do? Does like like what if there's only one super stressed character and my other three crew members are totally chill? Is the idea that the chilled crew members will give me good options and only this one stressed guy gives me a bad option? So uh, essentially, so um, if that being said, if their if their stress is maxed out, mm-hmm. a lot of times if you don't choose it, there will be a negative effect as well. So. Um, you're going to want to always keep that stress. Uh, once once the character is in, in madness, um, bad things will happen whether you pick it or pick that choice or not. Um, and it's interesting to watch people play because, you know, a person that has played right off the bat will never uh, go into communications and, and lower their stress or do anything uh, to lower, lower the stress. But ultimately, like I was saying earlier, um, there are so many things once you sort of get in the rhythm and and learn how to play this game where you're like, okay, if I don't fix that, uh, if I don't fix that uh, stress right now, it's really going to affect me uh, this turn and next turn. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really have to, you know, and it might not be the choice that you want to make. It might not feel good to send somebody down into communications and lower the stress um, because you have an event on the table that you want to clear out. But thinking two, two, three turns ahead, it's probably, you know, a good option. I I will say it it is good to know, like I wasn't, one of the things I wondered if this was happening is, are my choices just a matter of the average stress? Um, But basically, if I'm playing, certain people have a high stress, you know, everybody's sort of getting on up there. If I send one person to the module to reduce just her stress, I will see some kind of benefit from that, right? Like it's more likely to give me a good event on her behalf, correct? Correct. And if if your stress is really good, um, I mean really low, um, they will really come to you and say, listen, you don't have any food. And you need food. So why don't you have one food or two food? And so um, they'll sort of analyze where your where your stats are on the ship and, and present for that. Well, that's definitely part of one of the things I sort of realized as part of the learning curve is, you know, manage this. And, and the one time I did beat it, by the way, I, I, I sort of feel like a lot of it was due to keeping stress down and them giving me random boons that helped push me through different turns. Um, so the stress system definitely, over a few playthroughs, makes itself very evident that, hey, you need to watch this. Um, yeah. Uh, tell me, finally, about the evolution of the research system, because I love um, one, one of the problems you get with dice-based games is what happens if the dice don't give you the rolls you need? Are you just wasting dice? I love that research is kind of a bleed-off for dice that you don't necessarily need, but sometimes you can see something down there that you really, really want in the particular in the, the research options. Uh, and so rather than just being a, a place for a bleed off for dice, it's a place you really want to put your dice. Um, tell me about the evolution of this system. So um, we always knew we wanted to have the, you know some form of research and cards and like you say that that bleed off. Um, and so that is one of the systems that was, you know, felt pretty solid throughout the whole development of the game. 
Um, and, and like you said, you know, sometimes you, you get into a situation where you're like, man, I don't, I have these dice. I don't know what to do with them. So it's, it is sort of like a, a, a dumping ground of sorts, but it's, um, also can be very strategic, um, if used correctly. And so, um, it, it, it just ended up being, um, sort of a, a backup system as well. So like, um, there was, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I think it's, it's an override. It's, it's a 17 repair to one module mm-hmm. yep. and you can, there are so many times when you roll and you're like, man, I, I, I'm like, this event's huge. I can't do it with one character. And then you look down and you're like, oh my gosh, I've got the, this huge repair and I have, I already have three dice in research. And so, um, and, you know, a lot of times you can be in a module and see that and go, oh, you know what? I'm going to bring this other character in here because she has less die and I know I can complete this event. So um, it just it sort of ends up being um, like like what it really is. It's research is just this really beneficial thing, um, but you have to pay into it and you have to um, sort of save for different cards. Yeah. And uh, again, you know. I would say that the research system is a very secondary system to the other things that you have to be doing on the ship. Um, I've seen some some people play, and they put a huge emphasis on on the research cards. Um, and uh, again, the, the cards themselves are really set up so you can do really deep, interesting things with um, with them. And get yourself out of some incredible. I mean, I've seen people get themselves out of situations that, you know, like right off the bat, I would have said that you're never going to get out of this. And you're, it's like I'm blown away by the way that system uh, has been integrated with the rest of them. Um, and so, um, I don't know. It's really neat. And there's, uh, there's some interesting things there, things you can do there too. It's like you can pay. Uh, a dice to recycle all of your cards. Um, and there's, it, it draws, uh, the dice from, so if you recycle it, we'll take it from, uh, the lowest to the highest. So sometimes you roll a one and you already have a one in research and you're not satisfied with your cards and it was your last roll. You just recycle your, your, your cards and put it, put the one back in there again. And, um, again, it's all of these little baby steps and all of these weird little tips and tricks that you learn as you're playing, they add up to the grander experience of Tharsis. And once you sort of master the way all these systems are integrated and work with each other, um, that's when you can really uh, play Tharsis well and hopefully get the best ending out of the three endings that there are. Good. I'm so glad to hear that. So, okay, I got to Mars... All of my astronauts were alive. is a miracle. And the ending was kind of a head-scratcher, and I was like, is there going to be a sequel? Do I have to end it on hard? Uh, what do I need to do to get an ending that feels like an ending and not uh, an, uh, me having to go back and play again and think, is it always going to end that way? So um, did, did you say you got all of your all four of your astronauts? Yeah, they all lived. And, and it so, was – yeah, go ahead. Um, there's a couple of things here. One, there's a uh, there's a, 
a bad ending, a worse ending, and an awful ending. So really, they're all kind of uh, <laughs> they're all kind of bad. But the actual uh, narrative of Tharsis is supposed to be sort of more of a um, an older school sort of heady sci-fi yeah. um, narrative, um, much more 2001 than Starship Troopers. So um, it's something that, you know, on your next couple of playthroughs, you know, listen to what they're saying in the cutscenes and... Um, well, the thing is, I think I could make sense. Like, it, it was... Um I mean, I guess it was what you're talking about is this more arty 70s movie ending. So if I get all three survivors to Mars, did I get the least worst ending or is there one better? Well, it depends. It's I always call it the, the Starbucks. Is it the least worst or is it the best ending? <laughs> uh, if you got, if you get all of your characters to Mars, it's the best ending. Um, now, of course, uh, one of the endings is my favorite, even though it's not the best ending. Um, so, um, that, it, that was sort of put in there, um, for, for multiple reasons. One, you know, we wanted to give the player something, you know, some, some replayability. Um, but we also wanted to tell the story like, you know, in some ways you're taking a lot of alternate paths with the game. And so, um, we wanted to, to have, I don't know, just it's all these different stories that, and all these different outcomes that that are presented to you. So sure, okay, good, no, fair enough. Um, and by the way, I feel that replayability. This is the sort of thing I love. Uh, unlocking new characters, like I, even if I can like get to the point where I'm like, oh, I understand the systems and I can win a lot of times on hard. Uh, like I, I got to unlock. You, you've given me what is it, five characters? I think I have to unlock them all. Like, they're all down there. I have to keep playing until I see yeah. everything you've got there. Well, some of them are also just really fun to play with. And, you know, um, of course, I, as the developer, have played most of the game with them all unlocked. And once they got locked for me, mm-hmm. um, playing most recently, it's it's I'm the same way. It's like, what is that? What's underneath that, that card? And, um, again, they come with different class abilities. So... Um, and I love that you don't tell us them, by the way. Like, I love that I, I see a name, what I have to do to unlock him or her, but I don't know what special thing I'm going to get from from that character. I, I love that that's a secret. Yeah, and, you know, some of them are, are better than others, for sure. Um, but I will say that they all add – I mean, they will all change the flavor of the game, sure. if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, um, I just have to congratulate you guys on this because I, like I said, I got the press release. I was like, okay. And then once I started playing it, I instantly fell in love with it. Um, I hope it does very well for you guys, Mike. Um, Excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the feedback. Yeah. And, uh, thanks for taking the time to talk to me and I encourage listeners, uh, look for Tharsis. It's available on Steam and on the PlayStation 4. Um, do you have plans to make an iPad version or did it outstrip what the iPad can do? I, I believe that we will make an iPad version. Uh, it was a it was meant for the iPad, so um, we'll probably have to dumb some things down a bit. But over the past two years, iPads have gotten uh, quite a bit more powerful, so I'm sure. sure you'll see it on there as well soon. Great. One of the things I really like that Mike said. Uh, 
and I didn't want to call him out on it too much because it's a hard thing for a developer to say. Uh, he talked about developing the game uh, early on and not showing anyone what he was doing because it wasn't ready for feedback. Uh, I feel that's a huge it's a difficult decision, and it's also a very important decision, I think, when you are creating something. Uh, it's one of the drawbacks, by the way, of this recent trend towards developing in a fishbowl. You know, letting everyone see what you're doing, or or early access. You know, hey, buy this for early access. Be a part of the development. You know, tell us what you think. Uh, I think there is a point... And this is especially, by the way, a peril for new developers, young, younger developers, people starting out. Uh, there, there's a point where in, in development, like, you don't want to listen to feedback. You have a vision. You have an, a, a, something that you want to create. You have a design. It should be up to you for a while to express that on your own. It's not a committee thing. You you create this. You work with the people with whom you're working, and you create something. And then maybe later, you share it, you get feedback. Feedback, of course, is valuable, but it's not always valuable. And not all feedback is valuable. A lot of feedback, and again, this is a very important skill that, that too few new developers have, have, but a very important skill is distinguishing valuable feedback from noise. So often, uh, the response to feedback is just the response to the people yelling the loudest, whether they have a good point or not, whether what they're yelling about is a counter to your design uh, or helps. Um, feedback can be a double-edged sword, and sometimes it's just a big, blunt club that you should step uh, aside from, that you should avoid, that you should dodge. So it was really cool to hear Mike say, Hey, early in the, the development, I didn't want any feedback. Uh, that's 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 the sign, by the way, of a developer who is confident and knows what he is doing. So, well done. Also, uh, I was disappointed to hear him mention that when you 100% your your your, your uh, a crew member's stress, he referred to it as as space madness. No, as anyone who has seen Armageddon knows, it's space sickness. It's what Steve Buscemi caught in Armageddon. So, you know, that, that's one little area where Tharsis's science is questionable. Everybody knows from Michael Bay's Armageddon that maxed out stress causes space sickness, not space madness. Thanks again to Mike for joining me today. Uh, check out Tharsis on uh, Steam and on the PlayStation 4. And I will be back uh, next week with Jason McMaster to do a little bowl session about what we've been playing. Thanks for joining us. Happy New Year, and we'll see everyone here in a week. I